encourage you to open your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel chapter 19 this morning. 2 Samuel 19. We'll be looking at verses 8 through the end of the chapter. Talking about forgiveness. Before we begin unfolding the content of 2 Samuel 19, I want to read just briefly a short parable that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 18, and I'm going to start reading in verse 9. He also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Two men in that parable. One did not recognize the depths of his own need. Did not recognize that he too was a sinner. The other one was keenly aware of the depths of his sin and felt unworthy to even approach the Heavenly Father. He desperately saw his need for forgiveness. And one of the things that we're going to see this morning in 2 Samuel chapter 19 is that forgiveness begins within our own hearts recognizing how much we ourselves need to be forgiven. Recognizing the depths of our own sin. And I believe that David, who is going to demonstrate three separate instances of forgiving people here in this section I believe that David was able to do that because he was so aware of how much he had been forgiven. I'm going to read the section, starting to read in the second half of verse 8 of 2 Samuel chapter 19. encourage you to follow along in your copy of the Bible. Now Israel had fled each to his tent. All the people were quarreling throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines, but now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. However, Absalom, who we anointed over us, has died in battle. Now then, why are you silent about bringing the king back? The king, then King David sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, 
Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house since the word of all Israel has come to the king, even to his house? You're my brothers. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? Say to Amasa, are you not my bone and my flesh? May God do so to me and more also if I will not, if you will not be commander of the army before me continually in place of Joab. Thus he turned the hearts of all the men of Judah as one man, so that they sent word to the king saying, return you and all your servants. The king then returned and came as far as the Jordan. And Judah came to Gilgal in order to meet the king to bring the king across the Jordan. Then Shammai, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, who was from Bahurim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him. With Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons, and his twenty servants with him, and they rushed to the Jordan before the king. Then they crossed Then they kept crossing the ford to bring over the king's household and do what was good in his sight. Shammai, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan. So he said to the king, Let let not my lord consider me guilty, nor remember what your servant did wrong on the day when my lord, the king, came out from Jerusalem, so that the king would take it to heart. For your servant knows... That I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come today, the first of all the house of Joseph, to go down to meet my lord the king. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, said, Should not Shammai be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. David then said, What have I to do with you, O sons of Zariah, that you should this day be an adversary to me? Should any man be put to death in Israel today? For I do, for do I not know that I am king over Israel today? The king said to Shammai, You shall not die. Then the king swore to him. Then Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had neither cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came home in peace. It was when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? So he answered, O my lord, the king, my servant, deceive me, for your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go with the king, because your servant is lame. Moreover, he slandered your servant to my lord, the king. But my lord, the king is like the angel of God, therefore do what's good in your sight. For all my father's household was nothing but dead men before my lord, the king. Yet you set your servant among those who ate at your own table. What right do I have, yet that I should complain any more to the king? So the king said to him, Why do you still speak of your affairs? I've decided. You and Ziba will divide the land. Mephibosheth said to the king, Let him even take it all, since my lord the king has come safely to his own house. Now, Barzillai, the Gileadite, had come down from Rogalim, and he went on to the Jordan to, with the king to escort him over the Jordan. Now, Barzillai was very old, being 80 years old. 
And he had sustained the king while he stayed at Machanaim, for he was a very great man. The king said to Barzillai, you cross over with me, and I will sustain you in Jerusalem with me. But Barzillai said to the king, how long have I yet to live, that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am now 80 years old. Can I distinguish between good and bad? Or can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Or can I hear anyone the voice of, or can I hear anymore the voice of singing men and women? Why then should your servant be added burden to my lord the king? Your servant would merely cross over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king compensate me with this reward? Please let your servant return, that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. However, here's your servant, Chimham. Let him cross over with my lord the king, and do for him what is good in your sight. The king answered, Chimham shall cross over with me, and I will do for him what's good in your sight, and whatever you require of me I will do for you. All the people crossed over the Jordan, and the king crossed too. The king then kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his place. Now, the king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went on with him, and all the people of Judah and half the people of Israel accompanied the king. And behold, all the men of Israel came to see the king and said to the king, Why had our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household and all David's men with him over the Jordan? Then all the men of the Jordan, all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is a close relative of us. Why are you angry about this matter? Have we eaten at all at the king's expense or has anything been taken for us? But the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten parts in the king, therefore also we have more claim on David than you. Why then did you treat us with contempt? Was it not our advice first to bring back our king? Yet the words of the men of Judah were harsher than the words of the men of Israel. Well, as we come to this section in chapter 19, we remember the background of the things that have happened up to this point in the book, that in chapters 1 through 9, David demonstrated great dependence on the Lord. But as as we come to chapters 10 through 12, David grew more self-dependent than God-dependent and ended up sinning against the Lord. At the end of chapter 12, David learned an important lesson that when you truly come to the Lord and confess your sin, saying the same thing about it that God says about it, God will always forgive us the guilt of our sin. And David experienced the joy of that forgiveness, even though while the Lord forgives us the guilt of our sin, we still have to live with the uh, consequences of our sin. As David goes on from there, from chapter 13 through the end of the book, we find a different man, a humble David. One who is enduring the consequence of his sin, but is very much aware of the depths of the Lord's forgiveness to him, rejoicing in once again being in right relationship with the Lord. Well, it's out of that sense of his own need forgiveness for forgiveness, that David now comes in this section 
and is able to bestow forgiveness on those who have really hurt him. People who willfully hurt him. Does David have a legitimate complaint? Oh yes, he definitely does. But even though people purposefully tried to, tried to hurt David, he forgives them. And by forgiving them, good things happen. Good things are going to happen to David, the one who forgives. Good things are going to happen to those who are forgiven. In fact, those good things are going to spill out and overflow to those around them because David is willing to forgive. Many years ago, I was counseling a husband and wife who had really grown far apart in their relationship. They were not part of our church family, but they were part of our community here. And as I talked with them, I found out that they had been seeing a counselor in the city, not one who was faith-based at all, just a secular counselor. And I asked them, well, what has the counselor been telling you? And they both responded, well, the counselor has told us that neither of us are happy And so we each just need to focus on what will make us happy. And that's what they've been trying to do. What's going to make me happy? And as they both focused on what will make themselves happy, they continued to grow further and further apart. I was able to share with them the biblical model of marriage and the fact that it's the exact opposite of what that counselor had said. Instead of me wanting to make myself happy, the biblical model is that I'm supposed to selflessly give of myself to my wife. In a sense, being more concerned about my wife's happiness than mine. And the wife is supposed to yield herself as she would yield to Jesus Christ. To her husband, in a sense, being more concerned about his needs than her needs. And in the process, when both the husband and the wife follow God's model, instead of trying to meet their own needs and in a sense going in opposite directions, they grow close together. And how much more joyful it is is it to have our spouse meet my needs than me meet my own? Well, you would think that in giving up our rights... We would lose. But in actuality, in giving up our rights, good things happen. And the same thing is true with forgiveness. David has the right here to be mad. He has suffered. He has been, de- he has been blamed for wrong uh, with, with no warrant. He's had family members turn on him. He has a right to be angry. But instead of exercising that right, David chooses to forgive. Yielding himself, letting go of himself, and forgiving those who have hurt him actually brings good things. And that's what we want to see this morning in this section. We're going to begin 
looking at the last part of verse 8 down through verse 39. We're going to see three different specific examples of David forgiving people. Now, the first thing that happens, we pick up at the end of verse 8. Remember, David has a son named Absalom who rebelled against his father and declared himself to be king. In fact, he took all of Israel's armies and attacked his own father, actually desiring to kill his dad. David's counselor, David's administration, the entire army of Israel followed Absalom against the one who the Lord had placed into a position of authority. But guess what? We saw Absalom dies. And as soon as Absalom dies, all those who had followed after him are scared. In fact, it tells us at the end of verse 8, Israel had fled each to his tent. What's going to happen to us? Well, individual Israelites started talking with each other, and they started saying things like, well, David is the one who always was led us to victory, and David's the one that gave us victory over the Philistines, and and David's the Lord's anointed. Why haven't the elders brought him back as our king? And word of these grumblings gets to David, and David sends two priests, Zadok and Abiathar, to the elders of Judah in verse 11, and with this message, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house, since the word of all Israel has come to the king, even to his house? You're my brothers. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? So David sends word, you elders of Judah need to be bringing me back to the throne. Those over whom David desires to once again reign have defected. They have not been loyal to him. They, some of them had not been truthful. Some of them, even close relatives, had purposefully hurt him. David has a right to be angry. He, he could very well say, you know what? You didn't want me to be your king. Fine. I'm just going to go on a long retreat. You figure it out. But what David does next is demonstrate that he is very much aware of his own need for forgiveness. And so, in light of that, he begins to give those who hurt, to forgive those who hurt him the most. We see the first example in verses 13 through 15. He's going to forgive one who ended up being his enemy. Then in verses 16 through 23, we see a second example of forgiveness when he forgives Shammai. A man who who blatantly lied about David and called down God to curse David. And in the process of forgiving him, David is going to extend the opportunity for this man to change his ways. 
And then in verses 24 through 30, David is going to extend forgiveness into an irreconcilable situation. No way to figure it out. Somebody has lied. No way to know who, but David just chooses to forgive. And in the process of David forgiving in these sections, good things happen. Let's begin first by looking at verses 13 through 15. Notice, David sends word that a man named Amasa should become the next general underneath David, replacing his general, Joab. We remember Joab. He's been David's general ever since David's reign began. And in chapter 18, verse 5, when Absalom, David's son, was attacking his own dad, David gave an order, deal gently with my son Absalom. But Joab, his David's general in chapter 18, verse 14, totally disregarded David's command, took three spears and thrust them through Absalom's heart. Here, David, aware of what Joab has done, replaces the general But his choice for the replacement is very interesting. It's a man named Amasa. It's David's own nephew. But to make things almost hard for us to understand, he chooses a replacement general who has, in a very outward way, rebelled against David, his own nephew. If you look back at chapter 17 verse 25, we read, Absalom set Amasa over the army in place of Joab. So all of Israel's armies followed Absalom in rebellion against David. Their general was Amasa, his own nephew. Now if that had been my nephew, that took my own army and led them against me, I don't think I'd invite him for Thanksgiving anymore. I'd say, what kind of a nephew are you? Don't you remember all those Christmases when I gave you toys? Don't you remember all the good times we've had? What kind of a nephew are you? You see, David had a legitimate reason here to be angry. But what does he do? He forgives his nephew. And because David is willing to forgive his nephew and demonstrate forgiveness by giving him a high position in the government, good things happen. Notice the good thing that happens in verse 14. Thus, he turned the hearts of all the men of Judah as one man, so that they sent word to the king, saying, Return, you and all your servants. You see, because David, in a sense, gave up his right to be mad and thought about someone else other than himself and extended forgiveness to his own nephew who'd been rebelling against him, leading his own army against him, because David was willing to forgive an entire people. The whole tribe of Judah softened in their hearts 
and were unified in coming underneath David's leadership once again. You see, when David forgave, forgave, good things happened to him and good things happened to the one who received the forgiveness. When we come to verses 16 through 23, we come across the account once again of a real scoundrel, Shammai. Remember Shammai from chapter 16, verses 5 through 13? David and his family were just fleeing from Jerusalem because Absalom was coming and wanted to kill them. And as they get on the outskirts of Jerusalem, this Benjamite, this guy named Shammai, runs up along the ridge and starts yelling down to David, You're worthless! You're worthless! You're a man of bloodshed! And he's calling down God's judgment onto David. He's calling a curse upon David. And David's other nephew says, Can I go chop off his head? And David says, No. Maybe the Lord wants him to pronounce that against me. Well now, Absalom's dead, and Shammai is scared. What's David going to do with me now when he's back on the throne? So before David even crosses the Jordan, here comes Shammai along with a thousand other guys from his tribe of Benjamin. And Shammai, it says in verse 18, falls down before the king. Now that Hebrew word carries the idea of not just falling down, it's like he threw himself to the ground. I'm not going to demonstrate it because I think I might hurt myself. But he, he really, he just comes up to the king and throws himself down on the ground and says, King, please don't hold a grudge against me. You know and I know that I have sinned. Verse 20. Well, David's nephew, Abishai, again, you know, the guy that said, Can I go chop off his head? In verse 21, same guy that wanted to chop off Shammai's head says to his uncle, should not Shammai be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, listen, this is a day of celebration and I am the king. Do I not have the right to extend grace and forgiveness to this man? I know he offended me. I know he lied about me. I didn't shed the blood of Saul's family. He's a liar. I know that but I'm going to choose to forgive him. And so we see down in verse 22, or verse 23, you shall not die. David extends forgiveness. And by so forgiving Shammai, he gives time for change. You see, forgiveness brings people together. Forgiveness gives people time to change. Forgiveness helps people who are on opposite sides. It brings peace to them. Forgiveness overflows with good. And that's what we see happening here in this second example of forgiveness. So David forgives in verses 13 through 15. Amasa, his own nephew, who led the Israel's armies against him. In verses 16 through 23, he forgives Shammai, who spoke falsely about him, accused him of things he didn't do. And then as we come to verses 24 through 30, we find David extending forgiveness in an irreconcilable situation. Remember Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth is King Saul's son, or grandson, 
the son of Jonathan, lame. Couldn't walk because as his nurse was fleeing, she fell and caused Mephibosheth damage. When David had to flee Jerusalem, we saw in verses, uh, chapter 16, verse 3, that Mephibosheth didn't come along. Instead, a guy named Ziba, Mephibosheth's servant, came and brought David some supplies. And David said, well, where's Mephibosheth? And Ziba said, well, he stayed back in Jerusalem because he thinks this is the perfect opportunity for him to become the next king of Israel. And David said, well, if that's what he's doing, I'm going to give all of his lands, his holdings that were Saul, his grandpa, I'm going to give them all to you. So now, here Mephibosheth is back, and he hasn't bathed, he hasn't cut his hair, he hasn't trimmed his feet, he's, he's just disheveled, and, and David's first words to him is, why didn't you come with me? And Mephibosheth says, you've been deceived, king. I wanted to come with you. Ziba kept me from being able to come, and Ziba has not spoken truth to you. I didn't want the kingdom back. I owe everything to you. So here we have it. Two men telling totally opposite stories. Mephibosheth and his servant Ziba. There's no way to figure this out. It's irreconcilable. What does David do? One of these, maybe both of these men, have lied to him. He has reason to be angry. You've been lying to me. But what does David do? He extends forgiveness. And he says, you know what? We can't sort this out. I don't want to hear any more pleading of anybody's case. Half the land is yours, Ziba. Half the land is yours, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth gives us a little hint, hint that maybe he's the one that's been speaking truth. Because he says... Down in verse 30, let Ziba take it all. I don't want the land. I'm just happy that you're back and that you're my king. Forgiveness. Forgiveness extended even when it doesn't seem like a person would forgive. These are legitimate causes of offense to David. But David chooses to forgive. And because he chooses to forgive, an entire nation softens in their hearts and comes underneath his leadership. The men of men and women of Judah come underneath David. The Benjamites come underneath David. The relatives of Shammai. And everyone becomes unified underneath David because he's willing to forgive. And when he's willing to forgive, good things can happen to, to even other people that aren't involved. And we see down in verses 31 through 39, this guy, Barzillai, that we first came into contact with in chapter 17, verses 27 through 29, he's not even an Israelite. When David crossed the Jordan River, he just took it upon himself, said, hey, this guy needs help. And he brought him food, and he brought him donkeys, and he brought him uh, bedding to sleep on. And so now David's in a position because he's been willing to forgive and has a unified nation coming underneath him to say, come, be part of the royal family. Barzillai says, oh man, I'm old. I couldn't, I couldn't even enjoy the food anymore. But please do this for me. Here's Chimham, most likely his son. Would you bless him? And David said, I will bless him and I will bless you. And Chimham and David and the rest 
of all the tribe of Judah cross over the Jordan back into the land of promise. All because David was willing to forgive. Now, from my experience, forgiveness is not like a light switch. I have never found in my own life that forgiveness is something I can just flick on and have it be done, especially when I have been deeply hurt. Who can hurt you the most? Well, those who are closest to you, right? If some guy at the grocery store gets upset at me because I didn't move away from the grapes in time and says to me, man, you are old and fat. I said, well, I guess that's fine. I I don't know you. If that's what you think, fine. But if my wife says you are old and fat, that's going to hurt. You see, the people who are closest to us can hurt us the deepest, and that's when it's really hard to forgive. Just like here, David's own nephew. So how do we actually experience forgiveness? It's not instant. Barbara, my wife, and I traveled to the deep south this summer. I'd never been to the deep south uh, for any length of time. So we spent several days in Charleston, South Carolina, and then we worked our way up through South Carolina and spent a week in Tennessee. And wherever we went, wherever we went, I wanted to experience the culture. And the way I experience a culture is through food. So wherever we went, I am going to order Southern. I ate greens and fried bologna and chicken with hot sauce as much as I could and lots and lots of grits. I ate more grits than I've ever eaten in my entire lifetime. I ordered grits for breakfast, grits for lunch, grits for supper. I had shrimp and grits, cheesy grits, grits with cream, grits with red-eye gravy. I mean, I just ate grits and grits and grits, and man, do I like grits. Now, the first time I'd ever tried grits were instant grits. was not a good experience. I learned something important. Instant grits just aren't that good. you got to go for the real thing. You know, the heavy pan, constant stirring for 20 minutes, the real thing. There's no such thing as instant forgiveness. At least I've never experienced it when I'm deeply hurt. But there is such a thing as true forgiveness. For in my own life, the process has run something like this. I don't know about for you, but for me, there have been times in my life where I have not even wanted to forgive. And I've had to start just praying and say, Lord, please help me just get to the point where I'm open to forgiveness, that I even have a desire to forgive. And I just start praying that. And the next thing that's very important is to stay reading my Bible because my Bible keeps reminding me of how much I need forgiveness myself. Then I've started to try to pray for the person who offended me. Regularly, daily, day after day. I've also told my accountability partners and said, I'm having a hard time forgiving this person. I need you to pray for me. And over time, 
I've actually been able to let loose of the anger and forgive. And just like David here, a good thing to do is give a visible sign of forgiveness. Hey, come have Thanksgiving dinner with us. You see, David forgave. Even though he had legitimate reason to be angry. And because he forgave, good things happened. In fact, if you look down at verses 40 through 43... Forgiveness actually lays the groundwork of hope for an entire future generation. There is a rift developing between the north and the south. We, we see it in chapter 2 verse 10, chapter 11 verse 11, chapter 12 verse 8. In chapter 2 verse 10, the northern tribes chose a different king instead of David, but Judah chose David early on. And there's a growing rift between the northern tribes and the tribe of Judah. It's just boiling underneath the surface. And we see it overflowing here in verses 40 and following. The men of Israel come and they say, Hey, how come you guys from Judah thought you could accompany David across the Jordan River? Well, they said we're his relatives. And they come back and say, Hey, we have ten twelves ownership. We're ten tribes up here. You and the Benjamites down there, we're ten times as many people. We've got more right to him than you do. Here, this is a guy they all rebelled against, and now they're fighting over him. It really has nothing to do with David. It's just they're growing in hatred against each other. But look what David did. Because David was willing to forgive, he actually set the table of forgiveness that allowed a unification of all these tribes, not only through his entire reign, but also the reign of his son Solomon later. In fact, when you come to 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 9 through 13, Solomon disobeys the Lord, but God said, I'm going to keep the, all the nations together because of David. I think because David exercised forgiveness. This past Thursday night... Barbara and I hosted a lot of the senior pastors from the area here in Cedar Rapids that I get together with and pray once a month. There's about eight of us that get together and pray. And so uh, those men and their wives came for supper. And I put on 17 pounds of pork on my smoker. Oh, it was good. And I actually helped inside the house, too. I actually helped set the table. I did. I Worked with that fiesta wear and made sure that none of the colors were on the same place setting. Got them all mixed up. It goes against my nature, but I did it. And I got the salt and pepper grinders out on one side and put another set of salt and pepper grinders on this side. And I put barbecue sauce on this side and barbecue sauce on this side. Got the napkins out. I mean, the table is set for good things. So that when the people came... All they had to do was set their food down and we ate. And good things happened. Oh, we had a wonderful time. Because we were prepared. We prepared for good things. We set the table for good things to happen. And that's what forgiveness does. Forgiveness sets the table for good things. You think about a family that has learned to forgive each other. That 
forgiveness that extends within that family unit sets the table for forgiveness to continue to happen in generations to come. A family that never learns to forgive each other ends up passing on that lack of forgiveness generation to generation. Here, David had reason to be angry, but he forgave. And because he forgave, good things happened to him, good things happened to those who received forgiveness, and good things happened to those around because David set the table with forgiveness. Forgiveness brings good to those who forgive and to those who are forgiven and overflows with good things to others. Father, I thank you for your word and the examples of forgiveness in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.